You're listening to the Colts Blue Zone Podcast with Mike Chappell and Dave Griffiths. Hello, Colts fans, and welcome to the Colts Blue Zone Podcast, our first Monday edition of the 2021 season. Joe Hopkins here, joined by Mike Chappell, and today we're going to recap the Colts' week one loss to the Seattle Seahawks. We're going to discuss a few takeaways, things that either give hope for the future or things that will definitely need to be cleaned up by the time the Colts play the Rams uh, in about six days for now. And then we'll wrap things up with a look around the AFC South, see how the rest of the division is doing. But before we get into things here, Mike, how are you doing? I'm doing fine. I tell you, the, the sun come up in Beach Grove, so no matter how the Colts do, it's, there's always a sunny day in Beach Grove. That's right. There's always another day. So let's just go ahead and get into it here. We won't uh, belabor the fact that the Colts lost too much. It was a 28-16 to 16 loss. To the Seattle Seahawks, eight straight opening week loss for the Indianapolis Colts. And this game actually started off a bit interesting. The Colts kick off the game with a 14-play, 72-yard drive that took over nine minutes off the clock. But after a first and goal from the nine, the drive would stall. And the the team settled for a 21-yard field goal that puts the Colts up three to nothing. Seattle with the ball now, and after converting on a couple third downs, Russell Wilson finds Tyler Lockett from 23 yards out. That won't be the other, the only time those two connect today. Seattle quickly takes the lead now, 7-3. to three. Colts on their next drive, they go three and out after Carson Wentz is sacked on third and five. And this time, Seattle with the ball, they don't even have to face a third down as they just march right down the field. Russell Wilson would find Gerald Everett for a nine-yard touchdown in front of Darius Leonard, and that would put Seattle up 14-3. The Colts need to respond here, and they do. Carson Wentz completed passes of 24, 10, and 14 yards before finding Zach Paschal for a 10-yard touchdown. Colts right back in it, 14-10. And this is where things go downhill a little bit. After forcing a punt, the Colts get the ball back with over five minutes left in the half. Uh, Colts pick up 12 yards on a nice little third and one flip to Michael Pittman Jr., but it was called back because of a penalty. The Colts then can't convert on their second third down attempt. The ball goes sailing over uh, Mo Alley Cox's head, one of the more difficult players to overthrow on the team. And all of this amounts to a three and out. Seattle now with the ball back and over three minutes left before halftime for Russell Wilson in this passing offense, and they don't need the full three minutes. The defense in a good position. It's second and 20 from Seattle's 31, but Tyler Lockett splits the safeties, and Russell Wilson hits them for a 69-yard touchdown pass. Um 41 seconds remaining before the half. The Colts wouldn't really do much with it. They would go down in halftime 21 to 10. But Mike, this was one of the key moments in the game that really changed this game. Uh, Giving up a long touchdown pass like that, 69 yards with under a minute left in the half, that's just inexcusable from your defense. Yeah, they didn't get uh, any pressure on Russell Wilson at that, on, on that place. Again, second and 20. But this defense is designed to not get beat deep, certainly by your safeties. And he ran right between them, and, and it, it was a pretty easy pitch and catch. And that's what there were a couple. In the first touchdown, you talked about 
uh, how they converted, was it three or four or three, or three uh, third downs? And one was a third and one where Bobby Okariki whiffs and Carson goes for 33. So a defense that, that's built on not giving up big plays gave up way too many. And those two in the first half were really costly. Really costly indeed. I mentioned the Colts couldn't really do much with the ball a few seconds before halftime. And coming into the third quarter, neither team was able to do a whole lot with the ball. The first four drives of the second half all resulted in punts. Uh, On the second play of Seattle's third drive of the half, Darius Leonard would force a Chris Carson fumble. It was recovered by Pay, and the Colts take over at their own 45-yard line. Good field position for Carson Wentz and the Indianapolis Colts as they try and climb back into this one. And it gets started on a positive note with a 15-yard screen pass to Jonathan Taylor. But then after three straight runs up the middle, sets the Colts up with a fourth and one at Seattle's 31-yard line. Indianapolis opts to go for it here as opposed to trying the long field goal. Carson Wentz, he attempts to sneak up the middle but fumbles the ball. Uh, turning the ball over to Seattle. I mean, the fumble didn't, you know, have a huge impact because it was fourth down anyway, but a massive wasted opportunity for the Indianapolis Colts who found themselves with a short field, who got off to a good start with the 15-yard pass. Uh, Mike, this is just another area where if this goes differently for the Colts, they might be talking about a different ball game here. Um, kind of talked about the aggressiveness of, one for Frank Wright to go for it and be the wasted uh, opportunity there. Yeah, I was okay with the sneak on this. I mean, I, I, it's too bad he didn't get Kobe Brissett back because that, that's what he, you know, excelled at last year. But it was, it, it, depending on who you ask, Ryan Kelly said it was on him, the center. But Carson Wentz, he just, just d- didn't secure the snap. Said he was trying to kind of run before he got the ball and, Fourth and one is a 31 when it's 21 to 10. The the defense, as bad as it was in the first half, it gave the Colts chances in the third quarter. It, uh, again, Seattle had really got nothing going in the third quarter. And at some point you knew that Russell Wilson was going to kind of dial it up again. So these wasted opportunities came back and bit him. And you just don't get a whole bunch of opportunities. And fourth and one is a 31. To not convert on a sneak was really... Uh, inexcusable, I guess, and it cost him in the long run. One of many plays that cost him in the long run. It did. Uh, in, the, in the immediate short term, the Colts would face another punt after Seattle got the ball back there. Indy would then embark on a 14-play, six-plus-minute drive that took them well into the fourth quarter. Uh, this was another fourth quarter, uh, I mean, fourth down opportunity. The Colts decide to go for it on fourth and two from Seattle's 18-yard line this time. Carson Wentz ends up being sacked, and the Colts again uh, come off the field after driving into Seattle territory with no points on the board there. Uh, Mike, what did you think about both the call to go for it on fourth down here and just the drive in general? Uh, the, the drive was fine. I mean, Wentz was 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 sharp using his running backs, and you know they finally got Jack Doyle involved again. We talked to Frank after the game, but his his point was when it's third and whatever it was, third and ten. He was in his mind they were going to kick a field goal. He just thought to get it to a one possession game, eight points. But then when they got the eight yards to Pittman, he thought fourth and two. He 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 believes in his offense and he trusts that they can get two yards. 
He said they had a play they liked, and they couldn't couldn't get to it. He said there was miscommunication. I don't know whether a receiver ran the wrong route on that play because Wentz, it, it had to come out quick. But when, when Braden Smith gets whipped by Taylor that quick, I don't know what you're supposed to do. You just can't have uh, one of the highest paid right tackles in the league get get beat so badly to where the quarterback has no chance to kind of reload, uh, even if the ball's supposed to come out quick. So that kind of pressure, and I'm telling you, go back and look, and we'll talk about it later, but the stat book had, had uh, Seattle with only 10 quarterback hits on 41 dropbacks or whatever it was. I don't believe it. It was down a lot more than that. I tell you, there were three or four that I referred to as potential knockout shots where he just got hit flush, driven to the ground. So anyone who questions Carson Wentz's toughness, you know, they, they are really quiet now because he really absorbed a lot. But if you think you can have your quarterback treated like this for 17 weeks, you're crazy. This It can't continue. But that fourth and one, I was okay with it on fourth and two. It's always easy hindsight hindsight when it doesn't work, but you can't have one of your best offensive linemen just get abused when it's fourth and two. Yeah, and I think part of the point of Frank Wright going for it on both these fourth downs really was that he knew Seattle was going to score again. This was not going to remain uh, 21 to 10 or, you know, 21 points for the Seattle Seahawks because on the very next drive there, Russell Wilson would deliver the dagger the drive started with a 30-yard pass to DK Metcalf. It ended with a 15-yard touchdown pass to DK Metcalf. Seattle now firmly in control, up 28 to 10. Uh, if you want to argue, kick the field goals in those two prior situations, fine. But then it's 28-16. That doesn't do you a whole lot of good either. Uh, the Colts would take over with a little more than six minutes left on the clock. Indianapolis would finish the drive with another Zach Pascal touchdown, make the score look a little bit better. The two-point conversion attempt would fail, and that would pretty much do it for this one. 28-16, to 16. Indianapolis, like I said, they start 0-1 for the eighth straight year. And, Mike, now it's time to get into some takeaways. Let's start with the, the biggest takeaway, even though he might have not had the biggest impact on the game. Talk to me about how you thought Carson Wentz played in this one. He did his job. They they, they preached all along, all offseason, preseason, and, and in the week leading up to the game. Just do your job. Play quarterback. Make the plays you need to make. Well, he didn't make all the plays he needed to make. But when we list the Colts' issues coming out of the opener, he's well down the list. He just is. He had a 102 rating. That's the seventh 100-plus rating the Colts have had by a quarterback in the opener since Peyton got here. So it doesn't happen a lot. Uh, but again, it, you, you're, you're asking too much of your quarterback when the offensive line was just awful. It just wasn't very good. You know, Frank and Ryan Kelly said they needed to watch the tape, although Kelly said they weren't very, very good. But, you know, the eye test told you they weren't very good. Julian Davenport gave up way too many. I think Pro Football Focus had him with eight pressures on 44 pass drops. That's not going to work. Braden Smith, I I don't know if we talked about it much during earlier in, in August, but he didn't have just the greatest camp either. There were times that he struggled. So when your tackles are your weak links, not a good thing. Hopefully they get Eric Fisher back this week. We can talk later about that. But I thought Carson Wentz did his job by and large. 
and any concerns we had about how would he react, I thought he played pretty well. Yeah, I, I thought Carson Wentz looked fine in this one. Uh, the stats reflect that as well. 25 of 38, 251 passing yards, two touchdowns, no interceptions. He added another 23 yards on four scrambles there. I mean, I, I think if that's the average of what Carson Wentz gives you week in and week out, the Colts will be happy with that. They'll live with that. Uh, maybe another big play or two would be nice for the offense, which they're only – play of 20 plus yards came on a 24 yard pass to Paris Campbell. That was it. So they're definitely going to have to manufacture more big plays going forward. But like you said, Carson Wentz did his job. Uh, This loss certainly does not fall on his shoulders. Uh, Some of the shoulders it does fall on. You already mentioned it. The offensive line, Uh, according to ESPN, they allowed 10 hits on Wentz. Uh, Wentz took three sacks in this one, two of the sacks given up by Davenport. Uh, just just wasn't great altogether, and it, it's not like they had the run game going in this one either. You know, maybe the Colts could have won this game if Wentz puts up those numbers and the running attack is uh, efficient and doing well. Um, but but both running backs here, they combined for 90 rushing yards on 26 carries. That's 3.4 yards per pop. Uh, that that's just not going to get it done. I mean, Carson Wentz had a better per yards per carry average than these guys. I know it's a little different for a quarterback scrambling as opposed to a running back uh, going up the gut there, but the Colts are going to need to get their running game going uh, as, as well as their passing game. I think both of those things hinge pretty closely to how the offensive line is doing there. Eric Fisher, will he be back this week? That's something we're going to talk about more on Thursday when we get a little more clarity by then as well. Another takeaway I kind of took from this is the Colts are going to need more out of their wide receivers. Wide receivers only accounted for 10 of Carson Wentz's 25 completions. Uh, they took those 10 catches and did 122 yard with, yards with it. Yes, the two touchdowns went to Zach Paschal. But 45% of Carson Wentz's passes went to running backs. Only 41% went to wide receivers. Um, Taylor and Hines led the team actually with six catches each, 60 yards for Taylor, 48 for Hines. Uh, so the running backs did do better through the air than they did on the ground. That's typically not a great sign. Uh, it's not a great sign either that the Colts got so little out of their wide receivers. Um, my boy, Mike Strong did have a couple nice third down catches, but other than that, uh, not a lot to feel great about from the wide receiver corps. Mike, do you think the Colts are going to get things going with their young receivers and kind of kind of ramp things up as the season gets along and Carson Wentz gets a little more comfortable with his new pass catchers here? Or is this kind of what we're looking at where this offense funnels through the running backs, whether that's handing them the ball or throwing them the ball? Yeah, I'd like to see maybe how this thing evolves. You know, sometimes it, it's really risky to to think one game is going to be how it goes all. Uh, I, maybe some of this dump off to the receivers, what it, 15 targets and in 12 catches by the two running backs was was that a function of 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 poor pass protection where you had to dump it off you know maybe some but you know Pittman with targets and Paris Campbell with three uh Zach with five got to get more from your receivers and there there's got to be more of a downfield thrust to the passing game but with the way the pass protection was I would kind of argue ha- how much more? How much longer can Wentz have held the ball to push the ball down the field? 
So I, I think it, this this might have been a case where, and Seattle's a top ten, maybe a top five uh, run defense from a year ago with players. So I really thought the Colts maybe thought they weren't going to get a lot of a good per game or per carry average from the run game. But again, 17 carries for Taylor, I like. The 56 yards isn't enough. 3.3 was reminiscent of how he was early last season. I thought there were a couple times that he was a little hesitant. Maybe that was because he thought there would be a better hole there than there was. But yeah, they, they, this, this can't be the way they want to play because you've got to stretch the field on occasion. Uh, to, to kind of spread things out so the running game has more room. But I'm hoping that this was just a Seattle-centric approach because you can't make hay throwing the ball that much to your running backs. Again, 15 targets to the uh, running backs, four, six more to your tight ends. Uh, it, it's great to use those guys, but you've got to get more uh, downfield with, with, with your receivers. And we'll see if that happens moving forward. Yeah. And another thing of note here, Marlon Mack did not see a snap in this game. Um, you know, I'm not exactly going to argue that they played Marlon Mack over Jonathan Taylor at any point. I think Jonathan Taylor is the superior running back in just about every way. And he's young enough where he can handle 17 to 25 carries per game. But I just thought it was interesting. They didn't use Marlon Mack at all. Uh, it seems like his role at least through week one seems to be more of a reserve role than someone who has a, you know, a carved out niche in the offense. Yeah. And I, I wouldn't have been surprised if he was inactive. Uh, Cause the problem, you know, people say, well, boy, they kept Jordan Wilkins up, but he's a special teams player. And Marlon Mack is not a special teams guy. And I, I just think again, moving forward and barring injury, it's going to be hard for Marlon Mack to get active, not to get active. He was active but to get, to get on the field and to get carries because they like Taylor and Hines. They just do. And if something during the game happens, then you can, you can go to Jordan Wilkins. But the fact that Marlon Mack is not a special teams player is going to hurt him being active on game day. I just don't see them carrying four running backs active on, on, on a Sunday. Yeah, Mar- Marlon Mack's best value may be if Jonathan Taylor gets nixed up and misses a game or two or finds himself on the COVID list or something like that because until then, it's hard to imagine – Marlon Mack getting much of anything in this offense. Moving to the defense now, I mean, Russell Wilson just torched the defense early. I understand they they really got things together in the second half, and holding the Seahawks and Russell Wilson to just seven points in the second half is pretty impressive. I think overall, it's not – I mean, we kind of came into this game – talking up Russell Wilson, how good he is and how good this passing attack is. He showed it in this game. But I think what's more impressive is just how effective and efficient he was. I mean, he threw the four touchdown passes on only 23 total attempts. It, it almost felt like if Seattle needed to, they could have done more through the air. And the reason they didn't do more is because the Colts weren't as close to as in a striking distance in the fourth quarter. Um, so while there are some things to like about this cold Stephens, they got to find some answers because they're going to be playing Matthew Stafford and some other good quarterbacks coming up here shortly. Yeah. And again, the defense is, it, it's built on not giving, giving up big plays and Seattle had five plays that gained at least 22 yards. That's you just, you're, you're just, it's, it's tough to beat bad teams doing that and to beat a good team, you no know, 69 yard pass, 33 yard run. 
30-yard pass, 23 pass, 22 pass. It's just really difficult to do. And I thought the linebackers, yes, Leonard got the one poke out for, for a fumble. But the linebackers didn't play really well. Again, Okariki, it looked like he, he missed the tackle in the hole for the 33-yard gain. Leonard got beat on the one uh, touchdown to the tight end. I just in the first half, Darius had one tackle, and he finished with five. And somebody said it was his, his fewest tackles since 2019. So maybe and, and and again, we all and I was as guilty as anyone. We all talked about how this defense was poised to take that step from a top ten defense to maybe a top five defense, and we didn't see that yet uh, Sunday. And Russell Wilson had a what was it a 152.3 or whatever it was passer rating. That's second in the league. Uh, first is is Matthew Stafford at 155 something because he torched the Bears. So the the problem that 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 the Colts are going to have, and we've talked about this, is that first month of the first five games, there's just no room for for mediocre play by either side. And we'll see later on. Sometimes teams aren't as good as you think and better than you think. Maybe Tennessee has issues. I don't know. But with the Rams coming in, Matthew Stafford is going to throw the ball down the field. He just is. That, that's what he's always done. And if this defense doesn't tighten things up and they can get a better, more consistent pass rush. Now, Stafford's different from uh, Russell Wilson on, on how he works in the pocket. But the, they will take their shots Sunday. And this defense has got to find a way to either put the pressure on Stafford in the pocket or or have tighter coverage downfield. Yeah, and the, another thing the defense used to hang their hat on last season was in the running game. And, I mean, they didn't get, I wouldn't say trounced in the running game, but Chris Carson averaged over five yards per carry. He ran the ball very well. Uh, a lot of that was aided by the 33-yarder on that third and one play, but it's not like they necessarily shut down the running game and forced Russell Wilson to do all this stuff. Um, Seattle was just kind of, you know, third quarter aside, they were just kind of played a nice, efficient ball game on offense, and the Colts didn't do a whole lot to stop it. Uh, any other takeaways on the Colts' defense there? Um, about the defensive line, you know, we were interested going in, seeing how much certain players would play. Um, obviously the two D tackles, Buckner and Stewart, um, big Grover there. They, they both led the way with over 80% snaps, uh, Quiddy pay next with 76%. And then, uh, Alkadim Muhammad was 70%. I thought it was interesting that he played more than Taekwon Lewis. This was kind of the year that Taekwon Lewis was supposed to really step up and become that reliable starter. Well, appears in year four, the Colts staff still doesn't think he's ready for that. Um, and then Ben Banigou, only 11% of the snaps that accounted for six total. He was a guy who flashed a lot during preseason and training camp. Uh, apparently, the Colts didn't think he flashed enough to get on the field very often. You know, we he, I'm not sure anybody on D, on the defensive line played more in the three preseason games than Banigou, especially in, in the third game where he was out there in the fourth quarter. Now, some of that was because they had guys hurt. They had guys, they were resting. So it was like, we need somebody out there. But whenever you have players playing in the last quarter of the last preseason game, it just tells me that his value to the defense isn't what everyone may think it is. Because you're just sort of having guys eat up uh, snaps in a game. And 
if you watch Twitter, the one thing that just kind of drives people crazy is that Muhammad got as many snaps as he got, and Banigu got six. And you know, and their argument is, and I understand it, is how are you going to know what Banigu can do if you don't get him on the field more often? And the only answer I can give you, and it doesn't satisfy anybody, is that Matt Eberflus plays guys in games how they practice. It, it, it's it's you can agree or disagree or whatever, but that's how it works. If you don't earn your time in practice, you don't play. And whenever we brought up Ben's name during training camp and preseason, it was always yeah he's he's playing well, he's giving good effort, but it was always a a tempered endorsement. It was never over the top that maybe you that the words would would reflect what we we thought we were seeing on the field. This is the big year for Banigou. Everyone knows it. He knows it. If And if I have to believe it, if Kamoko Ture had been healthy, and there's another name, he's got to stay on the field. He just, as, as much as we've not criticized, but as much as we pointed out Paris Campbell missing time, Kamoko Ture's right there with him. It's a, it, I'm still stunned that this guy's in a contract year. It's incredible that he's been around this long. And he was out with a groin injury. And if to me, if Kamoko Ture had been healthy and played, Banigou is probably inactive, a healthy scratch. So we'll see where this thing goes. This isn't, to me, again, one game, let's not make knee-jerk reactions, but this, is to me, is not a great sign for Banigou that six snaps uh, when you're trying to kind of get pressure and chase around a quarterback. So, if we're talking, still talking about that this 1st of October, then they have an issue with Ben Banigou. Yeah, and speaking of issues, I mean, Banigou, Tyquan Lewis, Kamoko Ture, uh, Paris Campbell, you mentioned the, those are four second-round picks right yes. there that the Colts have not been able to get much out of at all. Now, I, keep I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not ready to pile on Tyquan Lewis yet. He was dealing with an injury at the end of training camp. Okay. And, and they really like how he can give him that versatility inside and outside. Uh, and he did play a lot in, in nickel inside. So I, I I won't put him in the same group with Banigou and Ture at all. But he, he can certainly find himself in that if this doesn't, you know, if this would happen to continue. But I, I, I think they really think he's going to be a pretty good player for him. Now, whether that's it's he can do enough to where he, he merits another contract, I don't know. But uh, these guys, they've got to stay on the field. Uh, again, uh, Lewis did have a, I think it was a shoulder injury at the end of training camp. But the fact that Ture, who was coming off of the ankle and he had the, he had a second surgery on the ankle to kind of get it right, and now it's a groin. It, it just you, you you play players that that you can rely on health wise, and he's making it hard to rely on him. He sure is. Looking across the AFC South now, as we wrap things up, one of the silver linings for Colts fans this weekend is the Titans got smacked by Arizona at home in, Na- in Nashville. In Nashville, thirty-eight to thirteen. Uh, and this was kind of the thing with the Titans is if you can get an early lead on them, they can't rely on Derrick Henry as much. You're asking Ryan Tannehill to win the game, which it's completely different when you just ask the quarterback to do what's necessary within an offense as opposed to, okay, we're down 20 now, bring us back for the win. 
Um, Julio Jones didn't do much of anything in this one. I get it's his first game with the team and he missed some practice time during the summer. Uh, but Titans start off zero and one, just like the Colts do. And then the Texans. Atop Tyrod, Tyrod Taylor. Hey, God, Taylor. Yeah. Like, <laughs> everyone, everyone who, uh, let's see a show of hands for right. Everybody expected the Titan or the, the Texans to be at the top of the division. Yeah. And you'd be lying. You'd be lying. <laughs> so, but again, it, other than the Colts losing, the weekend played out perfect because everyone really expects Jacksonville to be more of a factor, although not a strong factor, uh, not Houston. And to have Tennessee lose, it, it it really eases the loss. It doesn't ease the loss, but but it 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 doesn't put you behind the eight ball. You're not you're not playing catch up with a team that if not it's the Colts, then people expect the Titans to win that division. So. Well, I I guess the Colts take silver linings wherever they can find them after being beat again at home in their opener. Exactly. I mean, people are excited about Jacksonville's talent, but they still have Urban Meyer as their head coach, and he he might just be enough of a bonehead to kind of mess that up down there. Trevor Lawrence picked off three times in his NFL debut. I'm not going to put too much on him. He almost feels like a... uh, you know, one of those situations with like Peyton Manning or or uh, David Carr back in the day where he's the number one overall pick quarterback and he's just supposed to come in and save everything. And the rest of the team, including coaching around him, is so bad that it makes even Trevor Lawrence look bad. But again, this is just one week. We'll see how it goes. He's got plenty of time to put things together. I wonder, I, I know one thing from Peyton Manning, the one record that he wants to get rid of is the 28 interceptions as a rookie. That's still an NFL record. And Urban Meyer might Trevor Lawrence a chance to break that record. And, and, it, won't, and it won't be all Lawrence's fault, but uh, this kid plays all season. He he will he will threaten Peyton's record set in 1998. That is one Peyton Manning record I would love to see broken, just like Peyton himself. Um, that'll do it for this episode of the Colts Blue Zone podcast. Worked out just how we all predicted. Colts lose, Titans lose, Texans leading the division, looking down upon the rest of the AFC South with their uh, all their talent they have over there. Tyrod Taylor, Mark Ingram ran the ball like 20-something times for them, their leading rusher. Who would have thunk it after being basically benched in Baltimore last year? Uh, I could ramble on for a while after week one. I, I'm just glad football's back. Hopefully the Colts will get back in the win column next week. We will preview their matchup against the Los Angeles Rams. Uh, That preview will be coming out Thursday when Dave Griffiths will be back with us. Until then, try and look on the bright side, Colts fans, and we'll see you next time.